0: Okay all right here I am on another episode of musings with Matt and friends I have my friend and co-worker Amy Crosby Perham did I get that right yes yeah, and she is an autism specialist at um, the school district that I work at, so um, I wanted to have her on and talk about why what led her to choose that career and some of the struggles that we go through, um, each, each day. So what made you, what set you on a path to become an autism specialist, Amy?
1: Well, that is a good question. And first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate that a lot. Um, what led me to it actually was completely unplanned. Um, my daughter had gotten old enough to be in school full time. And so I went from, working opposite shifts with my husband at the time to being able to go to work during the day full time. And I had applied for a job the previous year, and it was not for part time. But the lady that had put the ad in the paper, who is uh, Dr. Elizabeth Gibbs, said, call me in a year and we'll see what we can do. And so I said, thank you, and that I appreciated it. But in the back of my head, I said, well, a year from now, that's not going to happen. But the year went by. And so I took the chance and I gave her a call. And she said, it just so happens I'm looking for a para for a student with autism. So why don't you come in and we'll do the interview? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so I interviewed with her. She brought me to the program that he was in. And I walked into this classroom to see a little three-year-old boy lying on the floor in front of their train set just watching uh-huh. the wheels on the trains go around and around. Uh-huh. And I immediately just uh-huh. fell in love with the little boy. I thought I have to work with him. I couldn't, I couldn't even explain it. And even now, it uh-huh. was it was just an
0: instant drive. So I just – I- I want to say one thing because I think me and you had in, uh, similar experiences because when I went to my job, when, when I got the job at the high school and like I, the first day I went in and I was like, this is what I'm going to be doing like the first day. Like, I feel like yeah. you kind of had that same idea, that experience, same experience. Am I, am I wrong?
1: Oh, I absolutely had the same experience. I just saw this, this little boy and he was the cutest little thing and even his little classes Um, Once I got to know him a little bit better, his mom always referred to him as her little Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. and he totally looked that way. He was just adorable, and Mm -hmm. I just, watching the way he interacted with this train set and some of the challenges he had, I thought, I need to know more about this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: This feels right. And so that was in 2003, Mm -hmm. and from there I spent 10 years working. Primarily with kids on the spectrum. I worked with kids with other disabilities as well, but primarily with kids on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then in 2011, I decided that I needed to get my master's degree mm-hmm. because I wanted, I wanted to do more. Yeah. I had gone to an administrator in the school district that I worked at and said, here's my training, here are my credentials. I feel like I can do more. Mm-hmm. Not, not that being a para wasn't wasn't good. And I don't mean that at all. Paras are amazing. Mm -hmm. They are invaluable. But you don't have any, you don't
0: have any power.
1: uh, Right. I I wanted to go larger scale. It it felt amazing to work one-on-one with kids, but I wanted it to be bigger than Mm -hmm. that. And I was told, well, we don't have anything like that available for you. And so that's when I knew I needed to get some more education Mm -hmm and branch out. Mm -hmm. And so in 2013, I saw the ad for the Claremont School District looking for an autism specialist, and I was completely terrified. Mm -hmm. But I said, I'm going to just give it a try. And the rest is history. So Mm -hmm. now I work with kids with they they fall on every end, and Matt, I know you know this. Every yeah. end of the spectrum, I've got a kiddo on it. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely.
0: Can we spend some time and just talk about like the autism spectrum for a minute? Like, sure. Overall, so just we'll just start. You know, tell me, tell me what you know about it, and okay. yeah,
1: can do. So. I'll start with the most recent statistic as far as how many kids are diagnosed with autism every All year right. when we started in 2003. It was one out of every 150 kids that are diagnosed with autism. Now the CDC says it's one in 59 and there are some studies that actually say it's more accurate that it's one in 50.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, autism is primarily a diagnosis that impacts boys, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: although the research doesn't have a whole lot of information as to why.
0: Mm -hmm. Got to be something to do with psychological makeup, brain makeup, what I would think, right?
1: That's my thinking is that it's really because autism is a neurological developmental disorder. I do think it has to do with, with a lot of that neurological, um, the the neurological piece, because Mm -hmm. we do know that males and females are wired differently. Right. So, I do think that it that it does have a lot to do with that um, they're finding more and more that genetics are the primary role
0: mm-hmm. in
1: what contributes to a diagnosis um, and it can it can even be because we've had parents that have said well i don't have autism, my spouse doesn't have autism, but it literally because it's in the gene makeup and right. breakdown it can be far back in a child's genetic history Mm -hmm. before it surfaces um so primarily yes it is boys it would be a misconception for people to think that girls are not impacted because they are Mm -hmm. and it looks different right um the the spectrum the reason it's called a spectrum disorder is because it literally runs a huge spectrum from individuals that are very severely impaired yep. to individuals that have gone on to get PhDs right. and to be educators uh Temple Brandon is a huge a huge pioneer in the world of autism mm-hmm. she didn't speak until she was 9 years old wow and she revolutionized the agricultural industry mm-hmm. by making slaughter more humane for cattle because she could she could truly kind of imagine what they were experiencing
0: right it was like it's like a different capability almost right it is yeah it
1: is different way of looking at the world she describes the way she thinks as in she thinks in pictures she sees something and i mean Mm -hmm. once she sees it and once she has an idea of what that looks like that's what she goes with um and, and great minds there's there's belief that Albert Einstein was on the autism spectrum. I've I have heard that. No yeah. He probably
0: was. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We didn't. <clears throat> there's probably because the only difference like now today is that people are diagnosed. Autism something that's already always been around since the beginning of time. I, you know. Right. But um, we just, there's more awareness and testing and, um, you know, just, just no, like we have an autism specialist in schools now. Like. There's more. Yeah. There's more uh, resources and effort put into trying to help people who have this rather than just kind of let them go by the wayside.
1: Exactly. Or yeah. or because we don't know what it is. I mean, right. Even, that too. Even when I was in school, um, all the years I was in school, autism was never a word that I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had what was called the resource room for the special kids. And that ranged from, I mean, I'm sure there were kids with autism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's from any disability, anyone mm-hmm. that didn't fit that neurotypical yeah. And there's, idea. there
0: are so many different disabilities, as you know, and as I know, from, um, like the, what encourages me is at least like today, it's not like that. You know what I mean? Like we have IEP plans to make sure that their needs are met. We have, um, we know exactly, you know, um, what the behaviors they have, you know, and that's just a that's just a better way to be rather than just like throwing them in a room and saying, okay, these are the special kids. You know, that just sounds so like barbaric and like um, and like demeaning almost.
1: It is demeaning, um, and I, I think that it the way that things have evolved over time is definitely it it gives me hope because before and you know as well before the i mean people were institutionalized they yeah. we didn't understand them no. and with autism when even when the first uh, the first talks of it came up the first diagnoses Happened. It was it was blamed on moms. There right. was a saying called "refrigerator mothers," and it was believed that kids with autism became that way because of cold and distant mother figures. And we know that isn't true
0: because mm-hmm. it's not. We know
1: now that it's neurological, right? But that isn't where we started, and we still have a long way to go. But we started from a place where people just immediately blamed moms.
0: Um. Which is not correct obviously there's all kinds of different types of dynamics dynamics and elements and obviously it's a neurotypical problem um, one thing that um, I've really gotten into and talked about with some people is is trauma yeah. and about how trauma um, also it well, trauma rewires your brain you know because it makes your amygdala continuously firing off and um, mm-hmm. your frontal, your frontal cortex is what the logical part of your brain isn't the, isn't the part of their brain. That's usually function that is in charge almost. And, yeah. uh, um, so I was talking to on on this podcast, I was talking to Paige and she, she's like wicked, like h- hardcore about trauma. And she was yeah. talking, she was talking about how she thinks that there have been instances where kids have been traumatized. And they've been diagnosed with autism. Do you think that's a thing that happens?
1: I do. I do think that's something that happens. And I think it's because... Well, I think for a couple reasons. I think that, one, the fact that we have more autism awareness and Mm -hmm. we're getting more diagnoses, while that is wonderful and it's a great thing, Mm -hmm. it also... It's easy for autism to become this umbrella diagnosis, which lots of individuals fall that don't necessarily Mm -hmm. belong there. And it's because a lot of what we see with kiddos with trauma or even ADHD is a lot of the characteristics that come with those particular things are also present in autism. Right. And I do think that there is a tendency sometimes for kids that have experienced trauma to be misdiagnosed.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you would, you would agree then. I was interested to like, see what you would say about that. Um, because I think there it does happen where some kids, um, or children have, cause we have a lot of kids who are traumatized these days mm-hmm. and, uh, some of them get diagnosed with autism just so they can have like, a, almost a label. You know what I mean? I feel like sometimes, yeah. and, um, rather than, it's, it's two different things. Trauma rewires your brain to run differently. If you're born with autism, your brain is born wired differently. I'm correct, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Autism is a neurological right. disorder. So it literally – and the, the cool part going back to Temple Grandin is that she, um, she's always been huge into having brain scans done on herself. Mm-hmm. And there have been – I've read in some of her books she's got the images of her own brain and then the brain of somebody who is neurotypical Mm -hmm. they look very different right and i think can you can you talk
0: about how they're different you know they're
1: different in a lot of the ways that because you had just brought up trauma they're different in a lot of the ways that i think that if we looked at the brain of a person with trauma we'd see some of that too Mm -hmm. when you think about autism and the fact that emotion regulation difficulties are huge Mm -hmm. i don't I can't honestly say I've worked with one student that hasn't struggled with being able to kind of regulate their own emotions.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, at least not independently at first and that all stems in the frontal lobe. Right. And if your frontal lobe is impacted either as a result of trauma or your own neurology, Mm -hmm. then those places in the brain that fire off, during trauma, they will fire off in autism as well. But I think that we have to be careful because if we want to, if we want to provide the best possible interventions and treatment that we can, we have to be accurate in what we're calling
0: something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if That's trauma, my worry. Like if you're calling a kid that if you're, if you're calling someone who has, um, who's, who's traumatized, but you're telling them that they have autism, um, like I don't know, I just see that there could be problems there because they don't really have autism. They're, they're traumatized. Not that that's not, not that that's not like uh, being traumatized is terrible, but it's not the same thing. That's all.
1: It is not the same thing, yeah. and there. I mean, there are plenty of cases too where it is both things, where True. an individual does have autism and they've been traumatized. Right. Um, and again, the beautiful thing about wiring, regardless of how we get it. Is that the brain is it's got that plasticity to it so right. you can you can kind of work with the wiring that you have whether you were born with it or whether it's a result of trauma mm-hmm. there are behavioral interventions there are therapeutic interventions that can help with the with the places that are short-circuiting so to speak mm-hmm. to kind of fire a little bit better mm-hmm. um, so that makes me hopeful and mm-hmm. that I've seen that over the years with the kids I work with that if that direct concise teaching without the subtleties, without a lot of the way that, well, the way that we talk is neurotypicals,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, breaking it down, being concrete, directly teaching skills can make a difference.
0: Absolutely. Um, Let's talk about some some of the characteristics characteristics of someone who has autism. Um, so, social skills that that's that that's generally hard with someone who has autism, right? That be your experience?
1: Yes, yes. that has been experience for the most part. The social skills, I think, the reason why it's such a common challenge for people with autism is when you think about the fact that. If you are born wired differently,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you're you're born into this world where, let's be honest, the world really functions and I don't want to say caters to, but we really are kind of ground in this neurotypical. No, absolutely. These behaviors. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the fact that, say, myself or you as neurotypicals, we can see Kind of those unspoken rules of social behavior,
0: right?
1: We have the ability to Walk into a room and kind of quote-unquote read the room see what's going on before we insert ourselves Mm -hmm. When you have that wiring Mm -hmm. It doesn't come naturally to you and if nobody teaches you those things
0: it just does it's just not there
1: It doesn't register and it doesn't have meaning. Mm -hmm. I remember reading a book about a woman who has autism and she she said very clearly in one of the the trainings i watched with her she said i do not understand you neurotypicals i don't understand small talk when i go to the grocery store and i'm checking out i don't care how the cashier is doing and i don't need to know how i'm doing i want to pay for my food i want to leave
0: very direct very and that's why yeah. that's why i found people uh Kids with autism that like I've worked with—they're gotta be very. They're scheduled. They have to have their schedule, right? That's a big. That's a big thing for them. Like they don't. They um. It, it's almost a hard time with adjusting to change and stuff, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, routine is important. Consistency is important. Um, I have kids that. You know, when we think about rewarding kids with free time mm-hmm. after they worked for a certain amount of time or an you know, we place that expectation and they've met, they've met it. Yeah. I've worked with students that cannot function during free time. They don't know what to do with it. And that's where problem behaviors would happen because they have this downtime and then the sensory overload Mm -hmm. and they, they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So even their free time needs structure.
0: And then that, and then that free time becomes stressful time because they don't know what to do with that. Um, Because they're like, oh, my God, now I need to think of something to do. But I don't – my schedule says, you know, it's just all these different things firing at one time, right?
1: Exactly. So sometimes what can help with um, kids that really struggle with that aspect of free time and what does it mean
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is I like to refer to things as kind of working for us. What are you working for? Mm -hmm. And pairing that language with – and this takes getting to know the student, but with things that they like to do, that you know Mm -hmm. they like to do. So if you know that a student likes to play Uno, maybe they can work for playing a game with Uno, of Uno with a staff member. Mm -hmm. Or if they like music, they can work for listening to their favorite
0: Mm -hmm. band
1: or group for an allotted amount of time. Tying things into something that has meaning for the individual is critical Mm -hmm. because when you think about autism and the wiring There everything has meaning right when you you look at the world um, From from that sort of wiring everything has to have meaning like you have to be able to understand how it relates to you Right And so that's why I think sometimes too individuals with autism struggle because with the social part, because if they're not interested in it or say like the woman that I just talked about in the grocery store, she didn't care about small talk and she doesn't understand why it's a thing. Right. So I think as neurotypicals, we can really complicate the world. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes Mm -hmm. I look at the, the, the autistic brain and I think that's so much simpler. Like it's,
0: straightforward <laughs> concrete no uh, <laughs> uh no um you know outside laying outside layers of dynamics unfortunately the world is very complicated and messy so
1: exactly.
0: yeah <laughs> so um that, that is the downfall i think that um and that's
1: why they that's, that's what, why kids struggle so much
0: yeah yeah the world is uh not concrete and not black and white it and, is not yeah and that's never going to change, probably. So, um,
1: and that's why that's why individuals with autism need people like myself Libre's, and like you and yeah. of the other amazing people we work with to t- directly teach our students basically what the world expects.
0: Yeah. Here's what
1: it looks. like. Yep. and I've had that's a good way to put it. What's that? I've had many a conversation with my students where they're like, but it's stupid. I don't care about it. I'm like, I hear you. I get it. I don't care about that particular thing either. However, in order to do what's expected or in order to to be able to be successful in life, there are just certain things that sometimes we have to do.
0: Yeah, and there's things that you're going to have to do that you don't like.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Exactly. Yeah, I think of the I think of a a person with autism and what what's taking place right now with this pandemic and how hard it is for them to like. It's just a it's a tough time. Not only for it's a tough time for everybody, but it's it's a tough time for people who especially rely on uh, concrete um, schedules and things like that because it's always constantly changing. And um, I did a I did a a uh, assignment for college the other day about COVID-19 and the shared trauma that we're all uh, that we're all taking in right now and um, that means for everybody so it's definitely hard for kids with autism to try to understand why we always have to wear masks and why we have to social distance and why um, school gets closed down now so yeah that's definitely hard don't you think
1: I agree. I think that, and you and I have had conversations about this before, too, um, at, at school and things, because we do share a lot of students. And yeah. I think that this pandemic has really impacted the students I work with in a number of ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: First off, because I, I always like to at least try to come from a positive place.
0: It's hard sometimes. Um,
1: It is very hard for some of, some of my students that are remote, um, they actually academically Mm -hmm. are thriving under these circumstances. My concern is the social piece that is so important and so Mm -hmm. much part of our daily lives that they're not getting, getting that.
0: And like we just talked about, they need that because that's what they really need to work on.
1: They do, because yeah. let's face it, and I'm not dissing academics by any means, no. you know how I feel about school, yeah. um, but knowing how to navigate life, that's what they need to know.
0: Absolutely. That's
1: what they need that direct teaching in, and so much of our language, especially our social language, is abstract, and they don't come from an abstract place Mm -mm. so they need that direct teaching so i'm seeing kind of that ripple effect too in that my students aren't having as much access to that direct teaching Mm -hmm. because social social skills social pragmatics there's you have to teach them Mm -hmm. in person right that the, the best way and then i think about the anxiety of so many of these kids and, yes. and you know and the I anxiety do, do and the happen? depression and yes, yeah. we've got kids that already had those challenges right? and now the pandemic and what's more abstract than a pandemic Nothing. and a virus that you can't physically see. right? And then they're being told, okay, you have to wear these masks, but maybe from a sensory perspective, they can't have stuff on their face. right? So now we've got kids that are isolated at home.
0: Because they can't tolerate the mask wearing to leave the house. Yeah, it's, um, but they can't, but then at the same time, you can't have them in school if they don't have a mask because it's not safe to be in school if you don't have a mask period period right now. So it's like, so it's like, it's like this double, it's just double-edged sword, you know, public health and then well-being, social well-being for students. And it is, they are ripping like back and forth right now. Like hard and and um, it's 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 not a normal time by any means. Fortunately, I do think um, that there's hope on the bari- on the horizon um, because I think a vaccine could be coming, and the experts are kind of saying now that we could be back to normal by like summer. But I mean that's 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 still a little ways off. But to hear that you know that they're looking at might be a, an end game to this thing um, is just hopeful to know. Um, Can we talk about anxiety and depression in people with autism? Can you speak to that at all?
1: Absolutely. I find that um, anxiety and depression are what are known as comorbid conditions Mm -hmm. sometimes to a, a disorder like autism. And my experience has been... and there's research too that shows us that the individuals impacted the most are the ones that are well what we you before the dsm five came what we would have referred to as people that have asperger's yeah sort of the higher functioning so to speak and i'm not not a huge fan of that term either but just to give some context yeah people that We don't use Asperger's
0: anymore, right?
1: No. They, um, it's called, it's now under a speech, a speech disorder, communication disorder. Okay.
0: Um,
1: I struggle with that because I think that in some ways having that differentiation of, um, autism and Asperger's, I think that helped people in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, however... No control over that, so anxiety and depression. Um, I see that being far more common in individuals that are on that higher end, mm-hmm. that have a better understanding of what their challenges are. Yeah. Because with with many of our children, many of our students, if they're severely impacted by their autism, that comes with its own package. Of difficulties
0: mm-hmm.
1: but when you have a more independent functioning level and you have you may not understand what is wrong with you right but you understand that you're different mm-hmm. that you struggle with things that your peers just seem to understand right and you don't know how to fix it mm-hmm. that's where the increased rates of anxiety and depression come because honestly, who wouldn't well, think about it? You yeah. Wrong, yeah. Or, you know, you don't quite fit in or, you know, you don't quite get what everybody else just seems to know. Right. That is going to make your anxiety go through the roof and you of course, you're going to be depressed.
0: Yeah. And I mean, anxiety is in depression are something that neurotypical people deal with in very high amounts. Um, these days. I mean, I've been on medicine for it since I was for like eight years now or seven years or something. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's something that's very uh, prevalent. And another, another thing that's finally, I think getting, we're not where we need to be yet with like mental health and the stigma, but we're getting there. You know what I mean? I think we are. Yeah.
1: I think that we're definitely making strides. I 100% agree. We are not where we need to be because I still think that even though the stigma has definitely um, changed a mm-hmm. bit, it's still there. Oh yeah, um, it's it's still
0: there. And services, you know, I'll give you an example. A lot of people like they have to wait a long time in order to like get a therapist or like see a therapist. Yeah. Sometimes, if you have a broken arm, like you don't wait a long time to get a broken to get your broken arm checked. You don't wait. You do, you do not wait sixteen weeks or whatever. You know, so to tell somebody who's going through severe depression and mental health issues that, oh well, we don't have a therapist available for you, and I'm just saying sixteen weeks because that happened to me. So, I'm just we don't have we don't have a therapist available available for you for sixteen weeks is like, well, I'm depressed now, so like yeah, that, right. that that doesn't really really do much for me. So that in that aspect is as terms are not because the. The therapists and the mental health professionals themselves are great, are amazing, but the yeah. the service of g- getting them there, getting insurance to pay for it, and all and all of that stuff is uh, still not there with the when when and then when you have a physical health need.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that even I mean that circles back to autism too, Matt, in the sense that there have been payments. Um, you know, when when their children are little and they know that something something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, very, I'm sure, well-meaning pediatricians or PCPs, um, a, a common phrase told to so many parents over the years was, well, he's a boy. Give him it's time. Boy. He'll catch up or you know well let's let's wait a little bit and you know if you still have these concerns bring him back and there are parents that have had that very same conflict that you know if my child were diagnosed with cancer or if my child had a physical illness right i wouldn't be waiting and the wait lists for even the the testing the screening that goes into autism there have been parents that that you and I have worked with directly that have waited over six months. That's insane. Now, if their child needed chemotherapy, they wouldn't be waiting six
0: months. No, if they but just because it's like because you can see the physical injury, you know, you can see somebody when they have a broken arm or a broken leg. But you can't fit when you you know if you from from sight of a person that you've never seen before, you're not gonna know right away if they have autism. Or any, any mental health problem, any, not that autism is a mental health problem, but it's not, but, um, but any type of neurological, um, problem or difference, you can't see that with your face. And most, a lot of people are very like black and white and, you know, if they don't see it or they haven't experienced it, you know, they don't believe it a lot of the times.
1: Exactly. I complain so often in that, um you know, uh, people have said to them, oh, well, referring to their child, well, he doesn't look autistic. And it's kind of like, okay, well, you didn't look ignorant either. But yeah,
0: exactly. It doesn't have Um, a look to it. Um, I, I, I assume you're knowledgeable about other types of disabilities too, obviously. Um, like, 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 like Down syndrome, for example, can you talk about Down syndrome at all? What you know about that?
1: Um, I do, obviously I don't know as much about down syndrome no. as I do about autism, but I do know that down syndrome has to do with chromosomes. Right. And I know that what I've seen with, with students I've worked with over the years with down syndrome is I've seen a lot more of the, um, the physical challenges yeah. with mobility, with mm-hmm. core strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen a lot of those kind of conditions, mm-hmm. um, from a personal perspective, and this was years and years ago, I had a baby cousin, Lauren, with Down syndrome. Yeah. And unfortunately, she only lived for three weeks. And the reason that she didn't survive was because one of the things that can be common with people with Down syndrome is, is troubles with their heart, with cardiac issues. Yeah. And my cousin Julie had three holes in her little tiny heart. So. That's a sad um, story it was very sad um but she i think just that experience and some of the without going into too much of it some Mm. of the responses from people some of the lack of acceptance yeah because she was different um i struggled with that and i Mm -hmm. couldn't understand it and i think that she is another reason why I I so fiercely advocate.
0: Yeah. First of all, because they need it. It's needed. Yeah, first
1: of all, because they totally need it, but mm-hmm. an experience like that, I think that just, it cemented more in my heart, I think, than I realized yeah. in the sense that this poor little helpless child was being looked at in a different way because right. she was different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... That just never sat right, and so – and as far as, as my students go, I – and I tell them, I will be your fiercest advocate, but you got to put the work in. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, so I mean I do know I do know some about mm-hmm. Down syndrome. I can't – like I said, I can't really sit here and say I that's, know a lot. Because that's fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that we – one of the things that I can say for sure is that I think that in any sort of – Disability, and again, you and I have had conversations about this as well. Is that it puts a person at such a higher risk for being taken advantage of, oh, for being abused, yeah. for being uh, misperceived mm-hmm. as a predator? Yep. So that that's the, the, a big
0: that brings its own set of challenges, and um, as you know, educators, it brings your own um, another set of. Um, things that you need to talk about and work on, you know, because, um, so people, so they don't get, so they don't get perceived as that, you know?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I was just talking to my daughter about this this afternoon because, um, something, she was playing a song on her phone and something about, uh, those your mama jokes. You -hmm. you and I had a conversation about this not too long ago. Yeah, I don't like this. I said, this was something I had to direct. Directly teach my students because, like, we get you never you never insult someone's mother. No, my students don't know that. Right. So even the little tiny things that Mm -hmm. that come through naturally to people, it's not it's not just natural for them. They don't know.
0: Right. Right.
1: Like all those hidden rules, we have to teach those. Yes, we do. As some of them can sound like. Your mama jokes. We're supposed
0: to tell them not to do it. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. They
1: don't know, and right. someone's gonna punch them
0: in the face. Somebody will punch them in the face. Yeah, and and they will do it in like the like the most innocent way, like not trying to just trying to tell a joke, not trying to like harm anybody, and and uh, mm-hmm. somebody will would hear it and take it the wrong way, and um, they would certainly, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and they're picking their teeth up off the floor. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: Well, Amy, we've been going on for forty minutes, and I think we've covered a lot in those in that forty minutes. What about you?
1: I feel like we have. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, you know me well enough to know that, like, I could talk about autism just twenty four seven. I know. But <laughs> but
0: um. I think we
1: have hit on. I think we have hit on the majority of. Of what i would want to give voice to one one quick thing if it's okay yeah of course i am doing some research right now and preparing to do a a staff training on the differences between um the differences in the way autism presents Mm -hmm. in females as opposed to males Ooh, that
0: sounds interesting
1: um because there it's so interesting and there are striking differences and one of the big things that jumped out for me is a big reason that girls get misdiagnosed is because, and i this is new research for me, so I'm digging in. Yeah. Um, they are better at faking it, so to speak.
0: Interesting. So
1: they they slip through the cracks more often than males do, and it's gotta be it's gotta be part of that wiring.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um. So they they can fake it better. Yeah. And we can just kind of slide on through a lot. And that's what I'm seeing in a lot of the research I'm doing mm-hmm. as to why they don't get diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how the statistics change. Absolutely. Once we know more about that.
0: Um, one one final thing that I wanted because I just, I just thought of it, and we were talking about the wiring of, of brains. And so the, particularly like the reason that they're... Um, some people end up being transgender is like, for example, is because they're like born, like they might've had male body parts, but they're born almost with like a female brain. Like that, that is something that like, it's been scientifically proved that that's what happens. So, but it's, it's just interesting to think about that in a, like a different type of type of way about how, you know, well, this guy, they were born with a, a, a male body but their brain their brain makeup's different and it's like a female's like that's why that's why, you know, transgen like that's a it's real, you know, it's it's not like a mental illness or like anything like that. Yeah.
1: It's you know, It's yeah. real. And I think a lot of times that uh, a lot of what I'm seeing now with with kids, um, when puberty starts and when they're trying to figure out like where do I fit in the world yeah. from the, the aspect of sexuality, I think that complicates it even more for someone with autism because they already yeah. have a different neuroli- neurological wiring exactly. and then sexuality is that much more complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: So I think that it's a huge struggle and I think, um, I think we're going to see more, more with that, more challenges with that, more, unfortunately, increased anxiety.
0: And yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I firmly believe the only way to address it and make things better is to talk about it, and I know that you probably agree. And to talk about it and learn about it, and um, and that's also a uh, culture problem because you know our culture kind of tells us that oh we don't talk about those things, we don't talk about that in school. That's not something you should talk about in school. But um, we need be, to. Ch- we- yeah, but oh, we sorry. were. T- yeah, but we need to change that. We need to change that attitude because I think if um, it was talked more about in school and more people were more educated about sexuality and sex in general, we wouldn't have a lot of the predatory issues and the abuse issues that we have. I think it all. It could. Of course, you're never going to solve every problem, but um, it would help a lot. I think. hundred yes.
1: percent. The, the first like
0: I know that in, I, I know that there are things that I wish I knew now that I know now that I wish I knew when I was when I was in school and stuff.
1: Right, and you we're know. neurotypical. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. I think that you are a hundred and ten percent right. The only way to start breaking some of this down and helping it to make more sense for the people we work with, but also to protect them as well is we have to talk about it mm. and I mean I grew up and I'm, I'm a lot older than you and you know that but yeah. I grew up there that that was the culture of my of my childhood and of my family growing up was well we don't talk about those things right and so now as an adult and an educator I I am the one that says, nope, those are exactly the things we need to talk about and here's why.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we have enough statistics as far as abuse in general, but as far as people with disabilities where I can't even imagine thinking we shouldn't be talking about yeah. it.
0: Yeah, and I think, personally, I think everybody should be talking about it, not just people with disabilities. I think it would help everybody. <laughs>
1: I think you're absolutely right because they think we get <laughs> – But right
0: it's now. another stigmatized issue and a culture thing that takes time to change.
1: It takes a lot of time to change because yeah. it, I, I don't know – I don't necessarily know what your sex ed experience was in school. But I'm having this really big feeling that we both were served the same canned curriculum where you learn about anatomy mm-hmm. and then there's a condom and a banana and then you're done.
0: Yeah, I mean – I think I got a little bit. I got a little bit more than that, but it wasn't like I wish I would have had it sooner. I wish I would have got it in middle school, not high school. Yes. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. We instead of instead in of time waiting time. till like my freshman sophomore years when things like that are already going on, you know, if I, I, I should have got it in middle school or even like 5th grade. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Well, that
1: starts with that does start small like yeah. you said and i think one of the things that we can when we look at things like autism or you know, the pandemic we're living in and just all of these big challenges that seem so insurmountable i think if we can start if we, if we can just get to a place where we start with something small and in mm-hmm. terms of sexuality i think of it as being as simple as using correct terminology when you talk to your kids mm-hmm about about body parts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I am that Nona. Say penises, okay. Yeah, say <laughs> penis. I was that mom where my poor brother, um, Kayla, had a question when she was three, where babies came out. And before I could even answer her, she thought about it. And she's like, I know the vagina. Yeah. And he glared at me. And he's like, why does she know that word? And I said, it's, because she has...
0: Yeah, it's no, but it's no different – it shouldn't be any different than saying, oh, look, my arm or, you know, my head or, you know, it's yeah, just a body part.
1: They're body parts. And when we think about, like, kids alone, if they don't know the proper terminology, but then we have kids with autism that may not be verbal, mm-hmm. that may not even understand how to indicate they're in pain and then mm-hmm. – We don't teach them the proper
0: terminology. How are they going to
1: let someone know what hurts, right? If we don't teach them that
0: stuff. I also think that. um, Just one more thought I wanted to get in about this: that, like, destigmatizing it and making it not so like, almost like, de-tabooing it. You know, because it's like taboo to talk about, and like that makes it like cool and stigmatized. If we got rid of that, that would also like got rid of that like circumstance. And dynamic, that would also help with a lot of problems. I
1: think it would help significantly. Yeah. Because anything that's, oh, let's face it, I mean, like. It makes you want to do
0: it more if you can't do it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially when you're uh, a kid.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. All right, Amy, I'm going to say that's a wrap. Um, we, you should definitely come on again sometime.
1: Totally. I would love to. Thank uh, you for having me.
0: Of Even course. Like I, I feel like we could talk about a lot of, a lot of stuff.
1: All right. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks, man. Yep. Have a good
1: night. You too.